Chapter 3 The French Revolution Preliminary Remarks Bonaparte was not quite twenty years old when the French Revolution broke out in 1789. From the time of his being employed at the siege of Toulon and in the war of Italy which followed, he may be considered as its sword-arm. From that time its fate became, in a manner, bound up with his. It waited his appearance to triumph and to perish with him. It will be therefore not improper in this place to give some account of its origin and progress up to that period. The French Revolution might be described as a remote but inevitable result of the invention of the art of printing. The gift of speech, or the communication of thought by words, is that which distinguishes man from other animals. But this faculty is limited and imperfect without the intervention of books, which render the knowledge possessed by every one in the community accessible to all. There is no doubt, then, that the press, as it has existed in modern times, is the great organ of intellectual improvement and civilization. The free states of antiquity, or the republics in the Middle Ages, were single cities, where the spirit of liberty and independence was called forth and strengthened by personal intercourse and communication. The towns in different parts of Europe, on the same principle, obtained several immunities before the villains or country people thought of throwing off their yoke. In Spain the cities are ripe for a revolution, while the peasantry are averse to any change. It was impossible, in this point of view, that those institutions, which are founded in a state of society and manners long anterior to this second breathing of understanding into the life of man, should remain on the same proud footing after it, with all their disproportions and defects. Many of these, indeed, must be softened by the lapse of time and influence of opinion, and give way of their own accord, but others are too deeply rooted in the passions and interests of men to be wrenched asunder without violence, or by the mutual consent of the parties concerned. And it is this which makes revolutions necessary, with their train of lasting good and present evil. When a government, like an old-fashioned building, has become crazy and rotten, stops the way of improvement, and only serves to collect diseases and corruption— and the proprietors refuse to come to any compromise, the community proceed in this as in some other cases. They set summarily to work. They pull down the house. They abate the nuisance. All other things had changed. Why then should governments remain the same, an excrescence and an encumbrance on the state? It is only because they have most power and most interest to continue their abuses. This circumstance is a reason why it is doubly incumbent on those who are aggrieved by them to get rid of them, and it makes the shock the greater when opinion at last becomes a match for arbitrary power. The feudal system was in full vigor almost up to the period of the discovery of printing. Much had been done since that time, but it was the object of the French Revolution to get rid, at one blow, of the framework and of the last relics of that system. Before the diffusion of knowledge and inquiry, governments were for the most part the growth of brute force or of barbarous superstition. Power was in the hands of a few, who used it only to gratify their own pride, cruelty, or avarice, and who took every means to extend and cement it by fear and favor. The lords of the earth, disdaining to rule by the choice or for the benefit of the mass of the community,
whom they regarded and treated as no better than a herd of cattle, derived their title from the skies, pretending to be accountable for the exercise or abuse of their authority to God only. The throne rested on the altar, and every species of atrocity or wanton insult having power on its side received the sanction of religion, which it was thenceforth impiety and rebellion against the will of heaven to impugn. This state of things continued and grew worse and worse, while knowledge and power were confined within mere local and personal limits. Each petty sovereign shut himself up in his castle or fortress, and scattered havoc and dismay over the unresisting country around him. In an age of ignorance and barbarism, when force and interest decided everything, and reason had no means of making itself heard, what was to prevent this, or act as a check upon it?